Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hey there, plant people. Welcome back. Thank you for joining me here again on Plow and Hose. And we are finally into March. Um, Those last few days of February and the crazy days were just continuing for us here in Central Texas. Um, The weather here in Taylor um, has been just all over the place, you know, hot one day and cold the next and happy and sunny in the morning. And then big black sky just looming over the afternoon and the rest of the day and there for a while day-to-day temperatures were like really crazy with like 10 15 20 degree differences in temperatures from one day to the next and up and down and back up again and we didn't have any rain and then finally we had a big storm that pushed through and we got some rain and that storm was pretty crazy too um and it I just feel like it's been completely nuts. For me, these wild shifts in temperature feels like low-key chaos. Um, I have no idea what to expect with the springtime weather. It's not really warm. It's not really cold. You just never know. It shifts so much. Um, I just have no idea where like how to dress uh what I need to be doing and I find it incredibly distracting and I don't want to slip up and forget something because you know I have some seedlings outside that I moved um from indoors and moved them outside it's been you know warm and nice so I moved them out to the patio so they could start to harden off before I transplanted them you have to you have to do that. Um, they they need to get used to being outside, get used to the real sunlight and the fluctuations in temperatures. Plus, the breeze is really good for them. It helps strengthen their stems. But without weather, uh, you know, we got up over eighty five one day, and then the next day we barely like got up to sixty four. So that's tricky. And, you know, you got to think about it. I mean, seedlings are vulnerable to heat just as much as they are the cold. So you don't want them out on a too hot day because they might burn up. And, you know, um, I've got some really cool um, heirloom tomato seedlings. And all this dumb weather is making me annoyed and anxious. But... I am optimistic, and even though we've had some crappy weather the past few years, things around town are really greening up, and I'm hoping that the plants know more than I do, and it's just so nice to see all of these plants coming alive and finally blooming. 
you know, around town, um, especially the redbuds, have just been covered with those reddish-purple flowers. Oh, I just love them. They are such a great color. You know, they're not quite hot pink, and they're definitely not red, and they're not exactly purple either. Um, Whatever color they are, redbuds are just beautiful right now. My yard is also waking up, starting to see new growth all over from the trees to the lawn and the fruit trees are really pushing out buds and leaves and flowers. My Mexican plum has lots of little white flowers and pretty soon it's going to be covered in blossoms. Also the peach trees are really starting to pop out pretty pink flowers. Also in our yard, we have two Texas mountain laurels, and they have been heavy with blossoms. And you know those blossoms, um, they just waft with sugary, sweet, grapey scent. There's also um, a very big Texas mountain laurel that is planted right by the front door at my work. And it's so big that it's actually a small tree. And let me tell you, it is just dripping with clusters of those sweet, sweet flowers. And that day, oh, whenever that was, um, that it was the first hot day, that it was over 85. And it was kind of humid that day, too. And every time the automatic doors... Um, would open, we could smell that Texas mountain laurel inside the hospital lobby, and it was really amazing. And you know, those doors would open, and then like the humid air would just roll in, and you could smell that warm, sweet, grapey scent from the tree. It just floated right on in, and it was really cool and such a, ni- a nice thing at work. Even though this weather has me a little bit leery, I'm not quite trusting that we are totally in the clear and we're not going to get zapped with some cooler temperatures, possibly another freeze. Um, It could happen. But we are just a couple of weeks away from calendar spring, so we're pretty close. And nature really seems to think that it's time because the spring rains are just going crazy. They are growing all over the place. Dandelions, henbit, cleavers, they are all starting to take over over here in our yard. Um, The cleavers especially, um, they're starting to get tall and gangly. Um, They can get about two feet tall, two, two and a half. I don't, they get, they get pretty tall. Cleavers are one of the first green plants that emerge in the springs. These have tiny star-shaped greenish white flowers, but they also have super fine like Velcro type fibers all along the stems. You can't really see it, but like if you touch it, you can definitely feel it. And they develop these round seed pods that are covered in those hooked fibers. They're like little burrs, but they aren't sharp or prickly, but they do cling to everything, especially animal hair, like dog and cat hair. And 
they stick to your clothes and it's annoying but they are you know kind of interesting plants but I'm not really a fan I don't I don't care for them but I really don't dislike them enough to you know want to poison them or anything uh, I, I'm not a perfect lawn person uh, I'd I, not really that interested in grass. Um, I might get annoyed by the cleavers, but really, I don't, I just don't get upset over all of these early spring weeds that pop up in the yard. Weeds are, you know, they're just really plants that are in places that we don't want them. Dandelions, henbit, chickweed, cleavers, and all of the spring plants are really important for pollinators because they are some of the earliest blooming plants in the area. They're the first ones. And they provide nectar and pollen to so many little creatures, including all sorts of bees. These plants are some of the very few options for bees and other flying insects during the late winter and early spring before other blossoms form. If you have fruit trees or a vegetable garden, you'll want to attract all the pollinators you can to your yard. So there is, you know, a lot of value in leaving these spring weeds alone because they attract and they feed pollinators um, now and up until everything in your garden starts to bloom. So all the same pollinators will be back for nectar on the plants that you want them to visit, like tomatoes, squash, peaches, the, everything that we're trying to grow. So, you know, really things can get out of balance. I mean, we don't want too many weeds, especially in the flower beds, because they take up space and they compete for water and nutrients. Most weeds can be dealt with very cheaply, and really they only require a little bit of sweat equity. So you do not have to go and buy toxic, carcinogenic, concentrated herbicides just to deal with weeds. Um, these synthetic herbicides, they work very, very well. Um, you squirt them on your plants and they kill all the unwanted weeds. Um, they're very effective and convenient, but they're excessive. And they don't know the difference between a plant that you're keeping and one that, you're, that, that you don't want. They're also excessive, and they are just way too strong. It, they really set you up to upset the delicate soil ecology. Synthetic herbicides do nothing beneficial for soil microbes, plus they contribute to pollution. Now, people are going to argue with you, they argue with me, about their uh, killing power, and they say stuff like, oh, they're not that bad, they break down quickly, blah, blah, blah. They're finding that that is not all that true, but honestly, there's no debate, because once you screw up your soil bio biology, you will continuously need to work on fixing it. And you have to fix it with other products, like 
fertilizer and soil amendments and all of that stuff you're likely going to have to buy. The truth is, once you spray herbicides on unwanted plants, you know, they are effective in killing the plant. But those concentrated chemicals don't break down immediately into neutral particles. They can last for weeks in the soil after application, which is why they don't recommend that you plant anything after applying them because they stay in the soil and you can unintentionally kill the new plants that you just planted. Excess herbicides also find their way into the water table and when that when they get into the water table they can travel far beyond your little vegetable bed. When synthetic herbicides are used they are effective in killing just know that they don't break down immediately and they're going to cause collateral damage by unintentionally killing other plants and also your soil microorganisms. Studies have shown that synthetic herbicides linger in the soil and can impact the soil ecosystem with reduced growth. Um, it messes up their cellular functions and it can even reduce species diversity. There are organic herbicides and homemade formulas you can try, but honestly, I don't think they're all that great. Not for the cost or the effort. I mean, oftentimes the, um, the more gentle homemade formulas you have to repeat over and over. And when you Consider that most spring weeds like cleavers and chickweed, hembit, they all have shallow root systems that pull up really easily. Now dandelions, they have a larger single tap root, but they're pretty easy to pull up. For me, by the time I mix up a um, homemade weed killer recipe and then go find the sprayer and pour it and spray it all over the weeds, I really could have just been out working, pulling them up. I'd really rather spend my time weeding mechanically than using the products because products just add expense. If I need to spend the money for getting rid of weeds, I'd rather have a really good tool like a stirrup hoe. A stirrup hoe is a great tool. It makes weeding a, you know, large areas of shallow rooted plants really easy. Instead of having um, a square flat plate at the end, a serapo has a different head. It has a metal strip that's bent and shaped like a trapezoid. And um, it does look like a stirrup at the end of a stick. I really love my stirrup hoe. It is just really easy to use. All you gotta do is like push it into the ground and then scrape and rub back and forth across the top layer of soil. And it just grabs the weeds and rips them right up at the base. Now, if you have some larger rooted plants, um, stirrup hoes, they tend to cut off the plant, which may or may not kill the plant depending on what it is, but you can definitely remove the tops and scalp a bed really quickly with a stirrup hoe. 
and you know depending on the quality you can get one for 30 40 dollars some are a little pricier but an inexpensive one costs about the same as like two gallons of horticultural vinegar that you would use for a homemade formula um, or you know costs about the same as three gallons of synthetic herbicide like glyphosate that you don't want early spring in central texas is my favorite time of the year and it's the perfect time to plant summer favorites like beans corn cucumbers and squash all from seeds true leaf market has been selling heirloom and organic seeds since 1974 they offer a huge selection of seeds of all kinds veggies herbs flowers grains cover crops specialty seeds and even sprouting and microgreen seeds whether you need just a small packet with a few seeds or you need several pounds of seeds, True Leaf Market offers sizes for everyone, from the home gardener to professional growers. Order online at trueleafmarket.com. Be sure to use promo code PLOWHOSE10 and take 10% off your order at trueleafmarket.com. You are listening to Plow Nose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you will go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music all coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. Also, wherever you get your shows, go, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts. Go over there and subscribe to the Plow and Hose podcast if you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want. Please download some episodes and go on, leave a review. This is going, both both things are going to um, help others find the show. Plus, downloading the Plow and Hose episodes um, gives me really important statistics that I like to look at. Okay, so for the most part, these early spring weeds are okay in my book. I am not crazy about those cleavers, but they all serve um, a purpose, all these weeds. And, you know, cleavers are actually the easiest to pull up. Um, They tend to grow tall and gangly, kind of stringy, but they are exceptionally shallow rooted. So you don't even need a stirrup hoe. All you got to do is put on some long sleeves, get your gloves on, go out into the weaves, and just kind of wave your arms around a bit, and the cleavers are going to practically jump in your arms, root and all, with such minimal effort. Now, you're going to be covered in those sticky little balls, but, you know, for me, I'd rather be covered in them instead of nasty synthetic herbicide. Now, another plant that's been getting a lot of attention lately that I've noticed on social media, um, I've seen it on my Facebook group, Taylor Texas Backyard Gardeners, and also on a couple of other Central Texas gardening groups that I follow. Um, Usually this is how it gets posted. hey, what is this? It's everywhere, and I want to kill it. How do I kill it? And then there's always a picture of a little purple flower that has thin, boxy stems, 
and then these really cute scalloped leaves and it's henbit now i like henbit because henbit is a happy little weed and it grows just about anywhere and everywhere just like cleavers and dandelions do they can grow in the lawn they grow in the beds they can grow in the cracks in the sidewalk they are everywhere henbit is an herb it's a member of the mint family and even though it has like the same square stem structure like mint does it doesn't have any of the minty chemical compounds that give mint the cool and kind of spicy um, flavor and smell bees and other long-tongued pollinators like moths and hummingbirds they also really like henbit nectar now it's not just the you know the creatures outside that can eat and consume henbit uh, you can too because henbit is edible all of it um, leaves and stems and flowers you can eat it raw you can cook with it it is really nutritious. It is just full of vitamins and minerals. The new growth, of course, is more tender, and it can be added to salads. You can throw them in a smoothie. Henbit has like just a generic herbal green flavor. It's mild. I would say it's unremarkable. You could easily add some to a salad or a sandwich and not even really notice it if, especially if you have any stronger flavors like salad dressing or maybe some other herbs or an onion in your salad. Um, doesn't really, doesn't taste like much, but you're adding nutrients and the weeds are free. The flowers, um, they have a subtle sweetness and they would be... Um, pretty if you wanted to hand pick all those little flowers and add them to the top of something throw them in your salad or maybe decorate cupcakes with them um, they're they're small um, but you know they could add um, a hint of color without really changing the flavor of whatever you add them to if you were stuck stranded outside and super hungry hand to me, would be more palatable um, to eat than grass. Um, grass is regular turf grass is edible. Hinbit uh, definitely would be what I would eat before I ate grass if I was starving. Um, but really, you know, like I wouldn't like sit down and eat an entire salad of uh, hinbit if I didn't absolutely have to. Um, that's because it's a little um, bit on the astringent side. It kind of gives you that mouth feeling that's kind of like squeaky clean after you eat it. Um, if you have chickens, though, they would absolutely love the hen bit. If you're weeding, you know, pull up the hen bit. Instead of throwing it into your compost pile, throw it into the coop. Um, you might want to chop it up a little bit um, for your chickens. It's, like I said really nutritious and can make your chickens very happy and a little bit healthier this time of year chickens really start laying eggs like crazy so give your chickens um, some extra fresh herbs 
for their bodies. Their bodies need a little extra nutrition during their heaviest laying time. And if you do, you might even notice a difference in the color and the quality of your fresh eggs. There are lots of wild and edible plants in our landscapes. Some we intentionally encourage or grow it on purpose. Some we don't necessarily want, but weeds and wild plants have value for people, for pollinators, for wildlife and pets like chickens and even herbivore pets like guinea pigs and rabbits. If you are curious about the other plants around your yard and their potential for being consumed, there are tons of books and websites about foraging. They are going to help you identify edible plants and also give you information on the health benefits of all these free sources of nutrients. One website I enjoy looking at is foragingtexas.com. It's um, really informative. Um, It's a website that's dedicated to educating people on edible plants that grow all over Texas. It's, It's a good website. Go check that one out. So, you know, even if you aren't really interested in eating the random weeds that pop up in your yard, you know, they have value. So learn about them and find out what critters like their nectar and their seeds. You know, figure out eco-friendly and family-safe ways to control those plants that aren't where we want them. Uh, The ones in the lawn, those can be mowed. Um, You want to do that before they set seed if you don't want as many next year. Others can be hand-pulled, but you don't actually have to do anything if you don't want to. But definitely, you know, learn to enjoy them and don't just drown them in synthetic herbicides. All right, let's switch gears. Let's talk about foundation plants. Spring always inspires people to get outside after a long winter and start cleaning cleaning up their yards and planting new flowers and replacing things that weren't doing so well or you know we had these freezes past few years um, and maybe they just flat out died a few weeks ago someone asked me for some recommendations for landscaping shrubs so you know, you know, all over Central Texas, there are lots and lots of new neighborhoods being built. And when these neighborhoods are developed, the landscaping is usually a low priority when these houses are built. A whole lot of times, the developers just plant things. They have like some minimal landscaping that comes with the house. Um, A lot of times they just stick a tree in the front yard, maybe put in some bushes and lay a whole bunch of sod. And it doesn't matter what kind of plants, no regard for soil type or soil health, just make it look pretty and get the house sold. Sometimes it's the wrong plant in the wrong space. Sometimes it's poor care, like it didn't get watered, or it was 
so poorly pruned it just didn't recover and it never looked nice again now this isn't an issue just with new construction plants you know they get old they die they get damaged maybe you live in an older home and you have some really old landscaping that came with a house you know no matter the reason why uh, you might be looking for some new landscaping shrubs i've got a couple of favorites and i want to recommend those because they do so well in central texas and they are lovely plants okay so first up i want to talk about is indian hawthorn it's a little more common in landscapes Indian hawthorns are native to Asia. They can be found all over China, Japan, Taiwan, Korea, and of course, India. It's been a very popular landscaping plant since the 80s, um, all across the southern U.S., and for good reason. It's because it's a really great landscape plant. Indian hawthorn is an evergreen shrub, and it's a member of the rose family. It's a three to five feet tall depending on the variety and it spreads a little bit wider they have dark green glossy leaves that can be two to four inches wide and about an inch oh two to four inches long and an inch wide sorry about that depending on the variety they have pink or white flowers that produce either black or red berries the flowers remind me a little bit of apple blossoms they're just simple they've got that simple shape and color they look like apple blossoms the berries are technically edible but they don't really taste all that great and they need to be cooked if you are planning to eat them the seeds contain amygdalin um, that is cyanide that has bonded with sugar and those black Indian hawthorn berries do resemble blueberries. So it's really important that you don't eat the seeds and absolutely teach any kids not to eat those berries. Historically, I found out that people have used hawthorn berries to make jam because ripe hawthorn berries contain a ridiculous amount of pectin. Most fruits contain like 1% or less of pectin. They contain very little pectin. Lemons have about 2%, and grapefruit contain 4.5% pectin. But Indian hawthorn berries contain 6.4%, which is like 12 times the amount of pectin in apples. Indian hawthorn bushes, um, they don't need a lot of pruning but they do tolerate getting clipped back pretty well in fact if you do like spending your time clipping and shaping shrubs indian hawthorns can be trimmed back to three feet and they look very nice in a more manicured setting but you don't have to keep them trimmed if you don't want to because they look nice without any fuss especially if you select a dwarf variety that won't get too large just let them grow on their own um, they naturally have a dome shape if you do decide to prune them wait until after they bloom in the spring and don't wait too long once the bloom fade 
trim it then. This is because the next year's buds, they begin to set very soon after the blossoms die. Indian hawthorns are nice plants to have as foundation landscape plants since they add interest and color all year with their dark green, evergreen leaves, sweet but simple flowers, and then berry clusters. They are heat and drought tolerant, plus they can take temperatures down to about 10 degrees. Since they are flowering and fruiting plants, they do prefer full sun, but they can handle some afternoon shade, and they don't mind the clay soils like we have here in Taylor, but you will need to amend your soil with plenty of compost to make sure that it's well draining. Another really great landscape foundation plant is pineapple guava, also known as feioa, F-E-I-J-O-A, feioa. Pineapple guava is a fruit tree that's actually native to South America where they can grow up to 15 feet tall and they are prized for their fruits. The fruits are small greenish-gray egg-shaped fruits that have sweet pink or white jelly-like pulp inside. Pineapple guavas are neither pineapples nor true guava plants. Feoas are actually in the myrtle family. They get their name from the flavor of the fruits, which taste like a combination of pineapple, guavas, and strawberries. Here in Central Texas, pineapple guavas make really great landscaping plants, especially if you plant the dwarf varieties. They don't mind the clay soil, but they do grow best in well-draining, fertile soil. They are heat tolerant, um, and like Indian hawthorns, they can also take the cold down to about 10 degrees in the heat of our Texas summers, be sure to give them extra water and some afternoon shade because they do like their roots to stay on the moist side. They are an evergreen shrub. They respond pretty well to pruning and shaping and they can make a pretty decent hedgerow if you're looking for a natural barrier. Just Keep them as a shrub shape and, you know, don't train them like a tree. Pineapple guavas have really nice foliage. They have thick, leathery, oval-shaped leaves, and they're kind of like a silvery green. They're not, like, dark. Um, it's a nice, um, a nice change from the other evergreen shrubs that we have, um, but much more interesting are the flowers because in the springtime they have incredibly beautiful flowers. Um, they're, may they're small, they're maybe about a little bit bigger than a quarter. They have soft pale pink petals that are surround just a spray of bright red stamens in the center and those stamens have these tiny little golden balls at the tip. Um, they kind of look like fireworks. And the pollinators go crazy for them. They love these flowers. 
And not only are they spectacular looking, but you can eat the blossoms too. You can add them straight to a salad, or you can drop them in a drink if you want to make your drink kind of fancy. They have um, a sweet, fruity, tart flavor, and they would be absolutely lovely on top of a simple cake with some icing. The fruits form over the summer, and they drop off the bush in the fall when they are ripe. That's how you know they are ripe. They'll fall to the ground. Theoas, pineapple guavas, are self-fertile. So you can get fruit off of just having one plant, but they tend to do better when they have a buddy plant. So if you are really wanting them for their fruit, then get two. Um, they can grow up together. As far as, um, you know, for being as pretty as they are and the fact that they are fruit-bearing, it's pretty amazing that pineapple guavas or feyoas are really very easy plants to grow. Fruit-bearing plants, um, all fruit-bearing plants, tend to toward being thirsty and... You'll have better fruit if you water um, deeply once a week. All right. Well, I'm going to end here for today. Thank you guys for joining me. I super appreciate it. And this is a fantastic time of year. I'm so happy that the days are starting to get longer and they're getting warmer. And pretty soon we'll be in the clear um, and officially into springtime. All right. Have a great week. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas. Mm-hmm.